Well, actually, uh, only 12, 12 years as a chaplain. I was uh, prior enlisted. Uh, so maybe that helps me understand it better, I think, sometimes. I understand your context and your tribe and where God has planted you. I will tell you, Micah, you almost brought me to tears earlier uh, out of the blue. I kind of got uh, caught off guard. Victory in Jesus uh, was the most godly woman I ever met. His favorite song, which was my mother, um, who died when I was way too young. But uh, we sang that at her funeral, and I was just like, wow, okay, thanks, Micah. You're setting me up here. Um, because uh, yeah, that song had a lot of meaning in our family. And uh, so, um, and then if I do take care of Cheryl, this is a message to all you parents. If I do take care of her at all with, with the love that God has given me and called me to do, it's because of the example of watching my dad take care of my mother. And uh, so it does matter how you, how you uh, interact, uh, husbands and wives, your kids are watching, um, because those are two icons of my life and my faith, um, both. I would say, uh, it's going to throw you off a little bit, welcome to FOB First Baptist Church, Coronado. <laughs> so if you don't know what a FOB is, that's a Ford operating base. But I think uh, the Apostle Paul tells us that's where we're at anyway. Uh, um, we're, not, we're not citizens of this, uh, of this world. Um, we're actually in spiritual warfare. And uh, I thank God that he's placed me, uh, other people may not understand this, but for me, he's placed me in a context I understand because it helps me understand my spiritual life even better. Um, all you ship guys, I, I don't even know how to spell 3M, sorry. Uh, <laughs> If you've never been on a ship, you don't know that joke because that is the spelling. But uh, uh, six weeks on a ship and everything else has basically been combat. And uh, I'll be heading back again this summer for my 11th time and, uh, in some type of conflict. Um, but I tell you, it's, uh, it's taught me more about my faith than anything else. And I, and I, uh, I find actually peace there. I know that's going to throw you off a little bit because the spiritual warfare sometimes within the body of Christ is so overwhelming. I'd rather go see someone fight a different way. Uh, than that, and um, but we're going to hear God's word today. Uh, so I'm going to use some funny language for you. Like this is an intel brief. That's what you're getting right now. All right, and then you're going to walk out the door and you're going to operate. So if you if you want to understand a warrior culture, we do it every day. You just don't know the terms. But the only problem is usually when someone else operates, they have an exfil or a time when someone's going to extract them. Uh, we don't know when that time is. Only the Father knows. Even Jesus said, only the Father knows when he's returning. So you, you can't look for that helicopter. You're going to just have to go operate. All right? And that's the spiritual warfare we go out. But the thing is, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We don't go ill-equipped. We are actually the best-equipped warriors in the world as Christians. And, and we don't really realize that um, because often, and we're going to talk about an application point toward the end, often we don't know the equipment we have. We listen to a talking head like me or Jim, and that's about our extent of our, our study or a walk that week and study in warfare. Or maybe we'll give Doug a little bit of extra time and come on Thursday night. Sorry, I missed Thursday night again. Or the Saturday <coughs> breakfasts or, or go to another training period with Fitz as he just kind of gets right into the meat of everything. Um, but the cool part about our equipment is we can study our equipment on our own. And then we come to the body and we make a difference. And... Uh, so I want to read something from an old pastor. <laughs> this is getting awkward, right? <laughs> Actually, it was, a, it, was, it was 50 years and seven days ago that I celebrated my first birthday. But, um, 
because last week when, uh, well, Jim asked me to preach a, a while back, and, and God gave me a, a passage, and then Jim hit it a little bit last week, and I'm like, did I hear you right, God? Because I, you know, I don't go up there and, and do the same thing, but I want you to hear what this old pastor from old said. Uh, this text is exceedingly full of matter. It might require many tri- uh, treatises and even multitudes of folios to bring forth all its meaning. Holy Scripture is notably sententious. Human teachers are given to verbiage. We multiply words to express our meaning, but the Lord is wondrously laconic. He writeth as it were in shorthand and gives us much in little. One single grain of the precious gold of Scripture may be beaten out into acres of human gold leaf and spread far and wide. A few books are precious as silver. Fewer still are golden. But God's book hath a banknote in every syllable, and the worth of its sentences it were not possible for mortal intellect to calculate. That's, that's God's love letter to us who call ourselves believers. It's full. It's alive. It comes at you. And you can go back and back again. In fact, if you're following our pastor's um, challenge to us, uh, if you're doing the chronological, you would have uh, been in the part where uh, Abraham and Sarah, Sarah, his name, Abram and their, Sarah's name was changed today. That's the chronological, that's what we're doing. Uh, went Genesis and we got all of Job and now we're in Genesis again. But hopefully, uh, if, you've missed, if you missed getting to read the Bible through a year, well, it's still January, you can catch up and have a good time with it. And watch God come alive. Don't read it as a, a literature book. It's more than a literature book. Ask God every time you open the Word, said, uh, teach me in you, keep any false teachings away from me, and keep the enemy from clouding my mind. So as we step into God's Word today, let's pray first. Father, we thank you for your word, your love letter to us. We thank you more so for your son, Jesus Christ, who, uh, who bridged that gap for us, who brought us back to you. Thank you for allowing us to boldly approach your throne of grace. Teach us what our equipment is. Help us to love one another well on our mission and to reach for others as we're uh, operating in this world. So bring glory to yourself during this time. If I get in the way, please remove me. If I say things that are not of you, please change the words before they hit your people's ears. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I tell you, any pastor or person who preaches the word and doesn't get nervous has not spent time before the Lord, because we get to answer for that. It's a pretty, pretty uh, lofty thing. So my first question as we get into the text is, when is the last time God overwhelmed you? I heard uh, when I went, we went to Passion City Church when we were in Atlanta, and, and the pa- I wanted to hear Louis Giglio's speech, and probably you who came to see Jim preach today, same thing happened to me. He had a guest speaker. <laughs> and, uh, but he, he did say some, some really cool things. He said, I, I believe the church is so underwhelmed by God. You know, in Western society, we, we pray and we get upset over traffic lights and parking spots, and I don't know, maybe that's just me. People who go over the bridge and slow down because they think the lane is too small. I don't know. Maybe that's not just me. <laughs> so a lot of re- people resonate with that. But, uh, but God overwhelms us in, in ways that we need. And it often helps us extend grace to other places. Recently in my life, I had about six or seven what I call most like difficult kind of... I love them, so um, please, I hope no one's trying to gauge who they are or not but what I call difficult cases of discipleship, walking people through things. 
And I felt like at Christmas I would look back and I thought, you know, I, I offered them my wisdom that I had gleaned from God, but I'm not sure I pointed them to God. Does that make sense? I, I think I was giving them the product of God without uh, helping them allow themselves to rely on God. Because what happens then is you get called again and again instead of God getting called again and again. Um, and it was weird because you know, I, I really do love people. I think Cheryl and I, are we, we kind of wear people out at times. We're aware of that. We're both high extroverts who love people. And so in December, I was kind of taken away from all that. We traveled some. I had to turn in my command phone. I picked up a phone that wouldn't keep a charge. Uh, so I couldn't stay in touch with a lot of people. And then one specific was a kid we adopted many years ago. Not officially, but might as well be. And, uh, and I've been talking to him for years, and all of a sudden, God hit him at the right time. And he started repeating back to me the things I'd shared with him for years. But he was like, I just wasn't ready in the timing. So if you're there, just be patient with God's timing, because his timing is perfect. And also point people to, to God. Um, also with your, with your sin. A lot of people get comfortable because, like, I'm not that bad. I look at other people. They're doing horrible things. And, and the key is when you see someone do a horrible thing and God says, this is what I want you to work on. And he overwhelms you with your sin. The other people might not think are so bad, right? You know, come on, that's not so bad. It's still sin. And the cool part is, is he doesn't overwhelm you with the guilt of that. He overwhelms you with the grace that he extends and the forgiveness that he gives so that you're less likely to judge and pick on someone else who's in a tough pickle. You understand that, wow, they are, they're hurting too. They're human. In fact, if there's a perfect person in here, please come up here. You should be preaching and, uh, because that's important. So as we uh, open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I know Pastor Jim mentioned this last week, and I hope you heard him um, because I'm just going to dig a little deeper in some areas, and we're going to stay with something pretty strong. What's wrong with, uh, with Christianity and the West right now? I'm not a, ba a basher of the church. It's made up of people, and we're messy. But prosperity theology is so out there. And I'm not talking about the ones that are easy to see. I'm talking about in our own prayer life. When something goes wrong, we're like, well, why doesn't God love me? You know, my mom died early. She was a saint. As I mean, if she were in a different church and they studied her life, they might make a saint out of my mom. We didn't even know how all the stuff she did till she died. And then people just kept coming forth. What she used to save and tell my dad she saved with coupons, those old things that you don't use anymore. <laughs> coupons at the grocery store, I think she gave away to so many people. And just people, drove after drove after drove, came to my mom. She was young, and she died. And she did not die a fun death. She died at ALS. But you know what? God loved her still, and she loved God till the end, and she prayed for mercy. I actually told Cheryl when we left the last time, I said, you need to go say goodbye. She goes, I did. I said, no, you need to go say goodbye. You know, we do suffer on this world, and the earth groans. It says, from Genesis, it says the earth groans. And there's cancer, and there's diseases, and there's people who make decisions that you have no effect on, and you end up getting caught up in some of those decisions. And you know what? God still loves you unconditionally, fully. And when I learned that God owes me nothing, I was more free than I ever had been. But he still loves me, and he'll, he blesses me unbelievable. And that's where I get overwhelmed. I just really get overwhelmed. Driving through the fog through Temeca. I did a wedding in Palm Springs yesterday. I couldn't see. I'm like, God, if there's someone stopped on this road, we're done. And so I'm thankful God got me through the fog. Simple things. He got me up this morning. I'm clothed. 
our condo's freezing, but I had a jacket. I don't normally wear a jacket, I know, but I was cold. So there's little things. Don't forget that. Don't forget those things. Because we often think, well, where was God when that happened? He was right there. He was right there. I had a friend that was abused as a child. And when he looked back and he could see that Jesus was weeping over the abuse, it set him free to leave that behind and take on his new identity. Not as an abused child anymore, but a child of the Most High King. That's pretty amazing. That's who you are if you're in his family. So let's get into the word because it's more important than anything I got to say. So we're going to read 16 through 21, and then we're going to land in 17 and then back out again. This is from the New International Version, because that's what I can get on my iPad right now. <laughs> I actually read the ESV. God loves all the, all the versions that are off his text, right? So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Wow, that's cool. I don't care what title you give yourself, that's the title God gives you. And that's more important than any title you give yourself. All that fades away. This title is amazing. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So let's go to verse 17 again. There's I could preach all day long on 17. I will not, because I know if your attention spans like mine, we'll finish on time. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's a status. Before you can be in Christ, you had to be out of Christ. You were an object of his wrath. Let's, let's just call it what it is. That's what scripture says. And in fact, we know this to be true because... Um, well, the Apostle Paul is writing this uh, through the Holy, Holy Spirit, and he wrote Romans as well, when it says we were in Adam, right? So Jesus often in theology is called the second Adam, and it said because Adam sinned, we all what? Because Adam is condemned, we're all? And because Adam is dead, we're all dead. I mean, and then it, it tells us that if we're in Christ, we were, we were crucified with him, we were buried with him, and then what? rose again, and we're seated. That's very hard to understand because I feel like I'm in Coronado right now, but it says I'm seated. It's kind of that already not yet kingdom theory, and it's, it's, it's real. It's what, not what Robert says. It's what the scripture says. So to be in Christ, we were once out of Christ, and that is, um, that's where we are in a state of grace now, right? And then later, we're going to be with Christ, and that's our state of glory. Or otherwise, we had justification. What's the next one where we're living right now? These are big seminary words. Sanctification and then glorification. And we're working out our salvation, not earning it, not striving for it. We're working it out. And that means we're participating with 
God through the Holy Spirit because Jesus is our intercessor trying to be made more in the image of Christ. Can we agree on that? I just thank you. My, my mom's church, of course, that was an older hymn. They said amen a lot. I guess that was my church as a kid. I tried to go to sleep, but I couldn't. My buddy sat next to me and slept all the time. I was like, I'm just jealous because you're sleeping and I can't. Now, that's not all. We're in Christ. It says we're new creation. Who wants to read out loud? Who's got a loud voice? I, my wife, I guess. She's the first one. So John chapter 1, verse 13. Please read that. No, it's God's word. Thirteen. Sorry, I don't do PowerPoints. No offense to Jim. The Navy makes us do them, and when I don't have to, I don't. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So who did the reborning? Who rebirthing for us? So even the new creation in this verse has nothing to do with our efforts. And that's what we often forget. I, we want to have so much to do with it, but we have nothing to do with it. God is pursuing us. He said, I, I chose you, you did not choose me. And it's a rebirth, not by human effort. You cannot earn your citizenship in heaven. Your right to be called a child of God. You can't. It's Him calling. It's what's given me lots of freedom in ministry. I am not a salesman. I have never argued anyone into making a decision for Christ, at least not one that there is evidence by real change. It's always been God's timing and God's calling, the Holy Spirit wooing. And I tell you, that's a great place to be when you get to be on the end of that link of the chain. But don't forget, there were many other links of people loving them towards the Lord as God was pursuing them. Or as another old-time pastor said, the hound of heaven going after us. So if we're a new creation, and it's not of us, something had to change. And Paul spends a lot of the epistles talking about this. And this is why we need to study for ourselves about this new nature, this sin nature, old nature, the old man, the new man. Can you resurrect the new man? Are you sinless perfection? Is that what it's talking about? You need to work that out. I'll give you some hints, but you need to work that out because when you're talking with someone as an ambassador, you have to be able to answer that question. What is so new? It's all new. It's beautiful new. So am I allowed to say, well, that's just the way I am. I'm never changed. What am I telling God? Yeah, you're not that perfect. You didn't get me correct. I'm still muddy. I thought it was funny. I hope Cheryl doesn't mind me telling on her. Uh, she got coffee this morning at 5 o'clock at a, at a 7-Eleven in Palm Springs. I did a wedding there yesterday. Beautiful wedding. God-honoring wedding. It was very nice. And uh, the, uh, the person told her after she, Cheryl never meets a stranger, so we're, it's hard for us to get through anywhere quickly, either one of us. But uh, so by the time she gets up there, they're like, we should give her a coffee for free because she's so nice. <laughs> and her smile, and she, and this is what's really beautiful. She shared this. So, husband's wife talked to each other about these things God does. She said, "They said my smile is beautiful, and I told them yes when I let Jesus smile. But sometimes I throw a little mud on there. Sometimes, like doubt or sin, or 
disbelief. And that's what it, that's what it really is. Sin takes our light and dims it. And if you, do, if you want a really good uh, um, word picture on this, take someone caving, true caving, not with a helmet and lights hanging in a cave. I'm talking dig down in the earth, turn all the lights out, and talk about utter darkness and sin. Because when sin covers our lens, people can't see Christ. And often, that's what they kind of reject Christ on is on us. But by the way, God's big enough for that too. He'll just use someone else to get to them and because he loves them and he'll pursue them. That doesn't take us off the hook though. So please remember John 1.13 when you're reading 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's not by anything that we do, thankfully. Amen? Amen. So all things are gone, passed away. So if you know me, I hate bumper stickers. Uh, I don't put anything on my cars. I think that's from my dad. Or the last time I put something on my truck, I sold it two months later, and Cheryl said, quit putting stuff on your truck. You sell it when you put something on your truck. <laughs> so it's not good stewardship in my family. But um, I don't like this, the, the saying, this is just me, I'm a sinner saved by grace. That was true at one point. But my identity is no longer entitled as a sinner. God calls me a saint. And I don't act like that always. I don't feel like that always. But still, truth is truth. And that's how you combat lies. The only way to combat a lie is with truth. Like, Jesus is my co-pilot. Wrong seating arrangement. These are all like bad bumper stickers. <laughs> if you have one, I apologize. It's not, I didn't walk around the road looking for things. Because, you know what? I got things in my life I got to clean up too. But the key is... Our identity is the true key in our freedom that Jesus talks about in Galatians 5.1. If we fully understand that I don't have to be that old guy anymore, that I can love because Christ can love through me. It's the biggest difference. I don't have to struggle with the same things over and over and again. I am free. The enemy will lie to you and tell you you're not. I, the enemy is... is it's the same coin with two sides. He's the tempter, and as soon as you give in, he'll flip the coin, and he becomes the accuser. Same enemy. He'll tempt you, and then turn around and say, oh, but if you were a Christian, if you were a good Christian, what are they going to think about you? You can't talk in small group. They're going to judge you. All the whispers of the enemy. We need relationships, and we need accountability, and that's where we're going to come to the main part of this of this passage. So what is different? What is Paul talking about that's different? Well, we got to go back to verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. What was going on in Paul's time? The church was starting, right? We had the Jews and the Gentiles. Did they always get along? No. But he said, I can't look at people as Jew and Gentile anymore. We know that because another verse says there's no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, right? you got to have the context of the whole scripture. But how about us? How do we view each other? Remember, I said sometimes I like going to war because spiritual war is pain more painful within the church. We need to start seeing each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, whether we go to the same church or not. Now, this island, I think, is really good about this because there's a lot of the pieces of the church that gets together all the time. I've never been to a place where Awana's was at another whole church, and everybody went over there, and we even have workers over there, and they're really great, and then they come back here and serve like crazy. What a great model of what a church could be, right? So 
At first, when I heard that, I was like, what? <laughs> Never heard that before. But the key is, how do we view one another? Do we view one another as, well, they're not so saintly. They're not so good. No, they're either a brother or a sister in Christ, or there's someone who needs Christ. And that's what Paul's talking. He even goes on to say, though we once regarded Christ in this way. You remember, he was not a super fan of Jesus. In fact, he was the persecutor. He loved going about persecuting those who believed in Jesus until he got a wake-up call. I don't know what the wake-up call is. Next week, you're going to hear another wake-up call from Mr. Lee who comes in and talks about how God woke him up. We prayed earlier, and I prayed, I prayed for, I always pray for non-believers to answer on the first knock. Because after that, <laughs> we get a little further down the road, it's a lot more pain to uncover. But you know what? Even if it takes you to the end of your rope and brokenness of everything, it's worth every bit of it. It's worth every bit of it. So like today is Sanctity of Life Day. It's hard sometimes in a large group to talk about sanctity of life and the wrongness of abortion because there's potentially someone who was deceived about abortion in their life. We don't judge you for that. We know that God can redeem and God can heal. And then what you do with that from, that from then on makes the difference. I have friends from the past who have actually lived with that um, guilt. They didn't think they could be a part of the church because in their young life, they actually um, had an abortion and they thought the church was going to judge them. But we know what did the verse say? <laughs> We're a new creation. Old things are gone. God can redeem all things. So we don't speak of a, a, on sanctity of life as a place of judgment. We speak as a place for stepping off and taking care of life from where we are at this point on. Does that make more sense? Does that make more peace in the world? Maybe we can actually talk to someone at an abortion clinic because we're not talking from hate. We're talking from a redemptive love that we've received. Therefore, we're not judging what's going on on the other side. I'm glad you can't see the past of my life and it's on a video screen. Though some people say, well, that's not that bad. But you know what? Sin is sin. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. So now he kind of views Christ in a different way, doesn't he? And we're going to talk about Paul later in our application, even more so. So we know it's not sinless perfection he's talking about because Paul talks later in other scriptures, and you should look these up, about not letting it grow in your life and not giving in and not giving up your freedom. Don't let your freedom, you know, don't use that in a, in a, in a way. So we know that sin still crouches at our door. It's possible because we're free. Everything is what? Permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Yeah, profitable. That's even a better translation. So you're free to do whatever you want. Now, to a teenager, I remember that. No, I mean, I had an eighth grade kid. My youth group was like, so I can live like this till I get to 40? I'm like, you sure can, but I can't promise you how you're going to get to 40. We never know. It's not worth the dice, but I'll, I'll, actually, when we meet Christ in a reality, we don't want to do that stuff anyway. I hate my sin. I really do. It makes me sick when I give in to something. I just, I just really, I, I almost get to the point where I, I, I'm not very graceful with myself. God has more grace with me than I do, so I'm going to lean on his grace. I hope you do too. So let's move on from there, because so, this, is, this is our job. What, so what, what do we do now? 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We have the ministry of reconciliation. We don't have the ministry of judgment. We don't have the ministry of being um, high and mighty. We don't have the ministry of being fruit inspectors. We have the ministry of reconciliation and seeing from God's eyes on how we do things. Let me tell you, that'll give you a whole lot more grace. It'll get you in some trouble with some legalistic people, but that's okay. You can outlast them because God got to be right there. But the key is, how do you see people? How do you see? You know, it's interesting being a chaplain in an institutional setting because I get to see everything and I serve everyone. Um, I care for everyone, I should say. That was one of our core capabilities. We care for everybody, regardless of what they believe or what I believe. But I provide specifically for those who believe like me. And if they don't, I facilitate for that. That means I go find them what they need, okay? Because we still have a constitution, at least at this date. (laughs) Don't go there. (laughs) So, but I get to see that other Christians, strangely, in a military setting, judge me more than the non-Christians. I can't believe you're hanging out with that guy. Well, I'm counseling that guy or gal. We're talking about life. I think Jesus, I'm not Jesus, by the way, but I think he was kind of accused of the same things. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that your job is to go to a place where you're weak in your own walk or in a a sin hold that God's still working on and saying, oh, I'm just going to go do that. But I think if you're praying and asking God, where is my ministry and what am I doing? It's fine. That's where you are. They'll get over it. They'll understand it. I even had a buddy who had an RP one time who told him he was reading out the wrong translation. (laughs) So it's amazing to work in a pluralistic environment as a Christian because there are so many preconceived ideas of what's going on out there. And most of that comes from us, by the way. We should be ministers of reconciliation. I'll tell you what, if if you're loving that kid that everyone else in the command can't stand, you're probably stepping out in faith. For me, if I have to go to the CO, because I have a direct line, and I'm defending the kid that everyone wants to bash, but I actually have the, true, the whole story sometimes, what do you do? Do you step out? Are you a voice of truth? Or is it easier just to go, oh, that's uncomfortable. I don't want to do that right now. I can't do that right now. I don't know. You have to ask where God has you. So let's go to 19. So we implore you, Oh, no, sorry, 19. Ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. So he did it, again, not counting people's sin against them. Aren't you glad? And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I think, is he being redundant here? He's just driving home a point. Are we reconciling one to another? Have you reconciled with your family? Families are the most difficult places to live within. They know all about us. Every little mess up. Have you reconciled there? I remember telling my Sunday school teacher one time, I said, I'm going to be a missionary. He said, have you talked to your neighbor yet? Whoops. I thought Africa was the cool, right? (laughs) Have you talked to your neighbor yet? I'm not taking away from missions, but sometimes short-term missions are only beneficial for the people who go. It's actually more a better steward to train someone of that culture and language and give them a ton of money to build a church and a school and do the work. Um, 
and you can go alongside if you want, but that's their culture and language. I've been all over the world, and I can tell you what denomination has been where. I really can. By walking into some of the places we've gone to worship, I was like, yep, I know who was here first. We shouldn't take our culture. We should take our Jesus. We should take our Jesus. But I'm so glad. That's number two. Verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Jim hit this last week, and I, and I hope we heard him. And then it says, as though God were making his appeal through us, he allows us to come alongside and be a part of what he's doing. The first time, if you haven't done it, the first time you get to lead someone to Christ, you will be stoked. It's incredible because you just realize, not that you did it, but you realize that God took someone from eternal death to eternal life right before your eyes. It's unbelievable to see that. It actually will propel you to be a minister of reconciliation in his timing, in his way, with your personality, with the way he's wired you. No shoulds and ought tos. I actually had a sermon one day uh, titled, Don't Should on Me. We should do what God's called us to do. And I said should, by the way. (laughs) Okay, so your hearing's off. And he's making his very appeal through us. Are you a good appealer? Do you understand the word apologetics? Do you know how to defend your faith? Do you understand why scripture is actually historically proven to be real? And that the historical Jesus that we call our Savior actually existed and historically correct by almost 100% of historians died on a cross? It's all there. This is easy to background. You don't have to go to seminary. Seminary's fun. I enjoyed it, but you don't have to go. The Holy Spirit said, I can lead you into all truth every time you open his word. And then Fitz can school us up on Logos because I'm still waiting. I got to get an appointment with him on that. We implore you. So what do they do? As they came to the church, what do they do? We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. It's our message today. Be reconciled if you're not. Be reconciled to God. Because here's what God did for us. God made him who had no sin. Jesus was like the first undercover boss. He came to earth, lived a a perfect life. If you don't remember anything, you'll remember my little (laughs) one-liners. Lived a perfect life without sin was tempted in every way that we have been tempted. No, you can't say that. Come on, there's no way Jesus... The Bible says that. Tempted in every way that we sin, yet without sin. He understands it, and he intercedes for us. So if you're in a sticky point, he's there with you going, I got you. Here's the exit. It tells us that he'll provide a way out when we're tempted. Often we're not looking for the exit ramp, and we're about three miles down the highway going too fast. So we have to get on the highway. But he made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Wow. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took, I can't even think about, my own sins overwhelm me at times when I think about them. And he took the sins of the entire creation upon him. I can't even that's worse than the, the, the depiction of the torture that we know is historically correct, by the way. We know that the, the beating and crucifixion that Jesus took in that century was actually what happened. I hope you know that, too. But what was worse is when he took all the sin on us. And he knew that that was going to come because he asked 
if the cup could pass. But to teach us how to do it in tough times, he said, but not my will, your will. So when you can't do anything, just say, not my will, your will. God will, God, will, God will work with you. He'll take you down that road to victory. Why did he do it? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So we have a new position in Christ. We have new character and a new mission, reconciliation. So I want to do some application real quick. By the way, the Bible says, what should we do with our enemies? So I'm not, I'm not warmongering up here. This just happens to be one of our largest threats or our largest opportunity. How do you look at it? When you have a bunch of uh, Muslim refugees come into your country and every synagogue, uh, not synagogue, every mosque is growing and growing and growing. And by the way, part of the Muslim Brotherhood through Kair, C-A-I-R. You gotta, so when you go to war, you have to know your material, but what else must you know? Your enemy, right? They're not our enemy. They're deceived. Okay, I'm not bashing them. I love them, but how can you talk to them? Do you even know how to talk to one? So here's a book. This will blow you away. It's called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And it's from a very devout Muslim who fought trying to seek to say, Allah, just Jesus can't be right. But he was doing Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. If you will seek God with all your heart, he will be what? Found by you. It does. And we're going we're gonna to cover some of that in a minute too because Christians don't know how to understand that at times. So here's what he said. He talked about street preachers, but he talked about relationship. Unfortunately, I've found that many Christians think of evangelism the same way, just yelling at people. Foistering Christian beliefs on strangers and chance encounters. The problem with this approach is that the gospel requires a radical life change. And not many people are about to listen to strangers telling them to change the way they live. What do they know about others' lives anyways? On the other hand, if a true friend shares the exact same message with a heartfelt sincerity, speaking to specific circumstances and struggles, then the message is heard loud and clear. Who's God put you with? I don't know. And then he talked about his arguments, theological arguments with his best friend. But it didn't matter how rough our relationship got because we were living life together. Even if we were out at our wit's end, vowing in moments of anger to never deal with one another ever again, we would be forced to smooth things out when we ran into each other in forensic practice later that week, or in the class the next day, or in the case of our argument about Paul just 20 minutes later because David needed a ride. <laughs> this is only one of the reasons why a strong friendship is critical. A surface-level relationship might snap under the tension of disagreement, but by living our lives together, we were forced to reconcile. So what do we know? I, I see all the time. I'm a Facebook guy. It usually gets me mad and I have to turn it off. Um, but I love people, right? So I want to keep up with people. And I say, I hear people saying, well, we worship the same God. I'm not going to ask you what you think. But I'll tell you the truth behind that is that can, it can never be true. Because in, in Islam, they say Allah is God. That's their name for God. And he is not father, nor has he begotten. That is in their traditions of the Hadith and the Quran. He is not father, and nor has he begotten. They hate when we talk about the Trinity. 
So if you're ever going to get into a, a conversation, you better understand the Trinity. And you need to understand a little bit about the Quran and Hadith, which is not very hard to understand, by the way. You know they say a lot about Jesus and actually speak very reverently of the prophet Jesus. And uh, they like the Gospels somewhat, but they think the Bible's been changed a lot. And they hate the Apostle Paul. I didn't know that part. I knew a lot of the other part. I didn't know why they hate the Apostle Paul. Do you know why they hate the Apostle Paul? It preaches Jesus as Christ as the Son of God. And they say that Jesus never did that. So they accuse Paul of hijacking Christianity and turning it into worship of man. That's what they... So when you go with the epistles with them, like today's text, not very good. Unless you can explain that Paul was not building the kingdom for himself, that he actually came from one of those. <laughs> He was, I mean, so if you, historical context, and you understand that Paul, you know, was already arrived in his culture, in his area, until Jesus woke him up. So a lot of that is not understood. We need to understand that. So culturally, and this is why some of the conflicts don't go very well, is we try to place our Western mindset on them, and they hate our Western mindset. But you know what they place on us unfairly? Because we do the same thing. They see all of the West and everything that we do as Christian. Everything that's been done by our administration is a Christian saying. I'm not sure all of you would agree with that. But you need to understand that.